You guys know that body part on your face called the nose? Marla and I have both been extremely affected by it (laughs) a lot recently. This is probably like the most, this will be like the most nasal episode you'll ever hear from us. (laughs) (laughs) Or nasal intro, really, I should say, not episode. Marla Marla does not feel well and we all know that I have not been able to breathe for a long time but we are about 60% there I just had my deviated septum surgery done um stitches are still currently in my nose but they will dissolve soon and I just got the okay that after today today being Monday which was Monday after getting the stints out I have the okay to now go to the gym so that's a good thing. Um, haven't left my house much in a week. Jack took great care of me. That's honestly been my life since we last talked. It's really just been like in my apartment recovering from mm-hmm. this experience. I don't think people realize how much like, I know that getting surgery, like a deviated from surgery, like it's obviously not something small, but like it yeah. affects me in so many different ways. Like, I, yeah. that makes sense. You wouldn't be able to go to the gym. But I didn't think of that until you said it. Right. And also, I was like, wait, I want to get a massage next week. And I was like, can I do that? Yeah. Like, can you put you your face down into the thing? Yeah. I think it's fine if I can go to the gym now. Like, I think that's yeah. not an issue. Um, also, because there's usually the space in the middle. Like, the hole for your face to go into. So, I think it's fine. Um I just, I just find it really funny that like, it's such a common surgery, but like nobody talks about like the actual pain Mm. that happens. And like so many people I talked to that were like, oh, like, yeah, like it'll be great. Like long-term, like, yeah, it's like fine. Like it's not that bad. And then I spoke to one person before and he Mm. actually told me the truth. Like he was like, Mm. yeah, it's like really painful, especially for the first few days. Like you're going to struggle sleeping and this and that. And I was like, Oh God, like I'm already nervous about just going under. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was not prepared for like the actual recovery aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then I also wasn't prepared for when they physically take them out. Mm-hmm. The pain there, because they don't put you on anything for that. It feels yeah. like it's touching Ugh. up inside of your brain. Yeah. So that was uncomfy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're here. It, it's it's a lot better. Um, I've been pretty positive about it. I just, now I can, like, smile and it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So, that's like, good. That's improvement. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sneezing, I'm kind of... sneezing is still the worst, though. Oh, the worst. God. Oh, my God. I feel it's kind of, like, scary because you, you it's like feel so it and scary. you know it's going to hurt. I wasn't even supposed to sneeze when they put the stuff in after. Yeah. And I kept doing this trick where you look up and look to the left and it stops mm-hmm. from sneezing, but I could only do that for so long. Yeah. So like one of the days I sneezed eight times in a row. Oh my gosh. Inside and I was like, Ugh. yeah. That's Trigger warning on this podcast. If you, <laughs> if you get grossed out easily, don't listen. <laughs> okay. And Marla was a real one, by the way, guys. She was so cute. She literally, like the Jewish mother friend podcast lover boo she is <laughs> she sent me mac and cheese and soup and soup it's very it's nice. funny because i was just gonna do the mac and cheese i didn't even know that jacob's pickles did soup and then yeah. i saw that i was like oh i mean i have to add the soup like you can't <laughs> not you know every jewish person it has to be given soup when they're sick uh, yeah yeah isn't their mac and cheese so good so good my only complaint was that it was so hard to chew uh, I my my concern was I wasn't sure if it was gonna be soft enough yet. But like you. it was still good. It was I'm telling you, like good food. It didn't matter. Like yeah. I I ate through the pain. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Really so hard to eat. Like my friends got me sugarfish, mm-hmm. which is obviously like one of my favorite foods ever. Mm-hmm. And I took the sushi with the both chopsticks. I put it in my mouth. Only half of it went into my mouth. Shoved the other chopstick and pushed it in my mouth. <laughs> Let it melt and half chewed it. Oh my god! It is well. I've had. I've never had like 
no like surgery on my nose, but I have had when I was younger, like I had like a lot of teeth pulled, like mostly baby teeth, my you know, yeah. wisdom teeth, all that. And you, you really can't, it was like strictly like ice cream and soup for like the first few days. It's really hard. It takes time to like, for your face to heal. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, if you're ever getting a deviated septum surgery, please text me first. I will be blunt and honest. And it's actually funny. A few people reached out to me. And they were like, I have to do this. Like, please be honest about your experience. And there was one girl who messaged me like every day. And I mm. literally told her I'm in excruciating pain. I've taken like the pain med seven times a day. Like, yeah, that was the other thing. Coming off the medicine was really hard. Mm-hmm. But again, Jack was amazing. Like he took amazing care of me. A lot of my friends got me things. It passed the time really quickly. People mm-hmm. came over, people call me. So I would say that it honestly went by a lot quicker than I thought. But yeah. like last week was kind of like a dud week. Yeah. That which makes was sense. like, because it was like coming down from like the week before. So I feel like the past two weeks have just been like, uh, zombie yeah yeah honestly though I feel like sometimes certain, when it comes to the pain in certain situations if, if enough time goes by you kind of like forget like how painful it was until it's like you know what I mean like, I'm not surprised that some people like didn't say it because I feel like if it's been long enough you almost like forget kind of like how people say that like you know pregnancy pain like you forget it like down the yeah. lot you know this is not a pain I'll ever forget <laughs> Uh, that is all. I was all right, up. I, trust all, that. I, trust that. I was up all night, Ugh. and I would just put like ice on my head. So, pro tip: if you do get the surgery, like make sure to ice for swelling purposes. Yeah, because honestly, I did not swell. That's good. That was the only good. <laughs> well, honestly, it's like what you're going through makes me. I mean, all I did, I had a bad cold. It's like no at the end of it, it's not it. Really bad. but no but it's like you hear other people- and I used to get sick all the time and I'm, I'm sure part of it was because of this so yeah yeah no it's not like anytime anyone in your life if you're, if you're ever like unless you're like seriously seriously sick of course but like if you ever have any like small sickness or inconvenience like it can always be worse like I had a cold but I didn't have the flu which some people have had the right. flu right now you know or one of my one of my friends has COVID right now well, that was the other thing. It felt like it felt like a fever and yeah. I would have chills. I had chills mm. the whole first night. So I don't know, man. I think I'm also just really sensitive to pain, but I think that already I feel a difference. And yeah, I'm grateful to all my to all my supporters. <laughs> um and my last update is just like this Haley, Selena, Justin, Kylie oh, stuff. That's so stupid. Making my head burst. Like, stop. <laughs> the way, like, some, like, the way that pop, like, pop culture news works sometimes is just like people blow things out of proportion. Like, I watched, I, I watched like your thing that you posted about it, and it just like, people need to like chill I was like since nobody asked for my opinion because that's literally everyone who's posting a video I'm like whatever yeah I'm like actually it's funny Maxine texted me and she was like I need to know your opinion I was like all right that's it the 10 people have asked me I'm making a video and I yeah well because everyone knows that you obviously are a big fan of the Beeb, so it makes sense Uh, you're curious and people need to leave this man alone his birthday is this week his oh, birthday is March 1st. His birthday is March 1st. And this is all mm. happening. They're all commenting, yo, your wife crazy. Like, just let the man chill. It's about to be his birthday. You don't mess with someone on their birthday. I am something I'm curious about is I imagine that all these people that create this like dumb drama on TikTok and things like that and social media, I picture them being like 16 years old. But I'm in but my mind, not. I'm like, they're not. I don't think they are. I think they're like like in their early 20s which is honestly even worse like I will be honest though it it was it's just all a little sus yeah that's a fact it's a sus and and honestly like I don't blame people for wanting to talk about it okay enough of my rant though I want to hear about you (laughs) yeah all right well let me think let's see so, so you were last... really excited about a few dates when we last spoke. Yes, 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 yes. Well, even outside of that, so last weekend, my couple of my friends, my old roommates from New York City visited. It was so much fun. It did suck because I literally got a cold the day they got here. And I was just like, all yeah. right, just got to like 
take a lot of medicine, drink, and like push through. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I took them around LA, went did a day in Malibu. It was so it was so cool. Such a fun thing. Malibu, like is so it sounds funny because I feel like it kind of sounds bougie, but it is so nice. Like it's such a beautiful yeah. place to go. Like I get the hype around it. No, I love that. It looked it looks so cute from the stories and stuff. And obviously so nice that they were all able to visit around the same yeah. time. Because yeah, that many was... people finding time that you're all available is like so hard. Yeah. I feel like people always make jokes about like trips not making it out of the group chat. But like yeah. with the, these girls that I used to live with in New York City, like our trips always made it out of the group chat. I know. I was always so impressed by that. Yeah. Guys, these are really solid girlies. So shout yeah, out to them. Love them. But yes, yeah, so dating wise, okay, so I was, yeah, originally I was supposed to have three dates last week, but then I was sick. So they all kind of got Why? pushed. <laughs> You're always sick. Like she was in Israel, got sick. Like now this, oh, yeah, three dates in one week, got sick. Um, actually though, this is the first time I've been sick since I moved here, which is kind of crazy. It took six months for me to get a cold. Really? Um, yeah. The, well, the, there was one random day, like two months ago where I was sick and it was just, it was just one day though. It was very weird. Um, but I think things, like a lot of people are, are sick right now in LA. I think it's just like going around. Um, but enough, enough sick talk. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> sorry guys, you're sick of us. <laughs> oh my God. Literally. Um, but yeah, so I had a second date with this hinge guy on Saturday. It was kind of like a, it was like a midday date. We met up around like four and got drinks and tacos and it was so, it was actually so good. Yeah. Um, I feel like. Is it a J name? No. Um, <laughs> it like, it was only a second date and our first date was really short because it was just coffee. So I like, I feel like there's still so much we need to like learn about each other. But yeah. I feel like in terms of just like the way that I feel when I'm with him is nice. Like it feels very comfortable, which That's I feel good. like, you know, sometimes people always talk about like what was said on the date, which is important. Obviously you didn't teach like, like, you know, what is this person saying about themselves? What is it? How does it make you, make you feel about like you and does it match up with you and how you feel? But at the same time, right. it's like, literally how do you feel while you're with this person like do you feel anxious do you feel nervous do you feel like you are you know trying to find things to say I feel like it's also about like how you literally feel when you're with them and I feel like most of my dates like that I have like they're good but I don't always necessarily feel like just super comfortable like where Uh I don't have to like necessarily try super hard I can just be myself so like that was really nice like it feels very comfortable so we'll see I think we're gonna have we're trying to figure out when we can plan a third date because um, we're both busy this week and then I'm away next weekend. So we'll see. And then there's this other guy who's like a friend of a friend and we're trying to like go out and like he was sick. Then I was sick. Um, We finally actually have a date tonight. Okay. Uh, Spicy. Yeah. We actually FaceTimed a few days ago when I was sick. Cause I was kind of like, we both have been texting. We've been texting for like over two weeks and we're like, we just the timing was not lining up so kind of like suggested like do you want to you know do a quick facetime what do you text about in two weeks when you have a like random i don't even know is it just like get to know you yeah a little bit get to know you not like a little bit get to know you like what do you do like what's up in your life i don't know um this guy's really involved in jewish stuff so our facetime was like mostly talking about jewish stuff um so we'll see and the facetime was good I, if I can even like see how it goes in person, I'm like still not sure really how I feel. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, these two dudes that I are both twins. Oh, just like so random. I like no. I, I had a twin phase before. <laughs> I'm thinking about my twin phase. <laughs> no, like like the old days in camp, like when you're like in middle school and everyone's like twins, and you're like, oh my god, this is so wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's one other. So that first guy's a hinge guy, second guy's through a friend, and then this third guy, um, the third hinge guy, also our first date was really quick because we had like a drink before I had to go to a friend's concert. Yeah. We are having our second date this week. Um, seems nice, seems like a good kid. He knows my ex's best friend, which is hilarious. They went to college together. Random. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Like I like 
and I feel like you know like I you know going on these dates we'll see what happens it's nothing you know serious yet just enjoying getting to know them we'll see how it goes um funny enough my first ex randomly hit me up this week and it was really random because wait you're like the fourth friend that's told me her ex has reached out to her like in the past like two weeks that's insane something's going on in the world something's in the air well it was it it was like the weird coincidence because the, the day that he texted me was my uncle's birthday and my uncle and him have the same name weird it's kind of weird and it's very classic he basically said the reason he reached out was because he was like he, we were long distance when i when we dated and we went to two different colleges and um i guess he had been driving in the area where he used to drive to visit me Whoa. and like that's made him thinking me to like check in and see how we were how i was and um he at first i wasn't sure really like i was like why is he reaching out is he trying to just talk to me again blah blah, blah. Wasn't sure, but we're just catching up, and then he like actually revealed that he's living with his girlfriend, and I was like, okay, that's great. I'm very happy for you. Like, no hard feelings. Like, we dated forever ago. But in my mind, I'm like, I was like, you know, living with my boyfriend. I don't know how I'd feel about him like texting his ex just to, like see what's up. Like, yeah. it was very harmless. There was like, it wasn't like there was flirting. I think that's so weird. It was a short conversation, but. It's interesting related to this podcast because you obviously always talk about Jewish dating and what he, and this girl, he used to date her. Then they broke yeah. up because I think he like, he, she wasn't Jewish and he had wanted to marry someone Jewish and they got back together. And like, I didn't say it to him because I didn't, you know, didn't want to be rude, but I really wanted to message him and kind of be like, I'm shocked you guys got back. When he revealed that he was like back with her and living with her. I almost wanted to be like, I'm surprised you, I thought like this was something that was important to you, but like, it's not really my business. No, so I just, yeah. like, held back, always, you know? but it's, it's always it's better kind of, to leave it. Like people have to decide it for their own, you know? Yeah. But I think it's hard when you like know that someone has expressed, when someone, a friend has expressed to you that it's important for their partner to have a certain quality. And then you see them date someone that doesn't have that quality. Right. It kind of like, it's like a weird thing. We were like, how do like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Like it's not my place, but like they've expressed it's important they to me. They definitely know it's important though, especially yeah. if they've expressed it. Like they have to know, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So that was interesting. It was very random that he reached out, but like, I don't know our feelings for the guy. Like haven't seen him in, haven't seen him in like years anyways. Um, but what a world. Really my updates. Um, still trying to find a full-time job have like a full I've done a few like small gigs here and there which is nice to bring some yeah, good into the, Menachem. yeah we love Menachem I'm working on a, sh- a short film with him I'm uh, so happy you guys are homies yeah he's great so and you talked about chosen comedy festival right I th- oh wait I don't know actually I don't think I did chosen comedy festival went great um like all like all Jewish events, the timing was so bad, so behind schedule, but it was great. I think everyone had a great time. Um, super successful. I am pretty sure we sold it out. Um, it was great to meet Allie. She yeah. was great. And Ariel was there. Um, yeah, it was really fun. Um and yeah, I think I think their next one they're trying to do is in Texas, I think. Um so yeah chosen comedy festival was good and uh funny enough one of the comics actually that um was on the lineup for chosen comedy fest is working on this is is one of the actors in this like short film that i'm working on with menachem and of course he's connected yeah he's so connected very much in la and yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, fun, fun fact. So you guys on the episode that you're about to listen to with our very wonderful guest is a guy that I'm friends with here in LA, which I think I just want to preface because you'll hear like some banter and conversation like between us. And it's because we met here in LA. He's one of my friends and me and Libby were really excited to have him on the podcast because of what he does for work. So just that little context before we get into our wonderful episode today. Yeah. And just really fast, 
Um, also, side note, it was really sweet. I met someone at a Shabbat dinner and they were like, wait, schmuck boys. Yes. Like, I want to message you guys. I have like stories for you. Like, love, love the pot. So. Wait, that's so nice. Yeah. I uh, love that. We love our fans. We love, we love, we love you guys. And we love hearing the intimate stories um, privately or things that we could share on here. We definitely want to hear more from you all. But let's take it away and learn more from Marla's friend in L.A. Hey, everyone. Our guest today, Kevin Nahai, is a personal coach and public speaker from Los Angeles. Kevin has dealt with his own fair share of obstacles and now works with people to help them overcome issues of their own. He's grown a large following on social media as he shares tips related to dating, relationships, building confidence, dealing with anxiety, and more. Please welcome Kevin. Woo! Go Kevin! Thank you, Marla. What a what a kind introduction. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I try. It. I try. We love to see it. Libby, I want to tell you that when Marla told me the name of this podcast was Schmuck Boys... I was like, that is genius and needs to be trademarked immediately. And Everywhere. she said, my podcast host deserves credit. Aw, Marla. Yeah. You, the, you said it's the name. Hours now, but it's true. It was like, I was listening to Dixie D'Amelio's song, You're Just the F Boy. And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What if we just flip it to a schmuck boy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also people should so- be using that as a term. Like it's perfect. Yeah. I know. I mean, people. How use- else do you describe an asshole like who's Jewish? Like, you don't say mean JB, like mean uh-huh. Jewish boy. Like, you say, like, schmuck boy. He's a schmuck. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Beautiful. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship update of the week? So, this can mean something fun or cute you did recently, a date night. We like to get personal. Okay. Yeah. Well, I had a nice date last night. Um, I was limited in what I could do because it was raining really hard in LA. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it was raining that hard yesterday. Well, okay. People from the East Coast will say that it was not raining. It was just like a little yes. drizzle, but I'm a California boy. Um, so I'm a little bit spoiled in that regard. But yeah, um, no, no. Honesty, major- honesty, girls. This is what we like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no major updates. I've, uh, you know, going on some dates here and there. And uh, are you serious? Like, are you a serious dater? I am. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a quote unquote serious dater. I don't mean for that to have the connotation that, you know, every time I go on a first date, I'm like, so when are you when do you want to get married? Well, it's all about the person. But like you go into dating like this could potentially be serious. You're not like, I'm just here missing around like every single date. No, no, no. Definitely. I, I my intention is definitely, you know, dating for marriage. And uh, I think it's very important to state that within the first few dates and get on the same page as the other person. Love that. Um, I have seen it happen way too many times in my life personally and in the lives of my clients that two people will hit it off. They'll be compatible. They'll have chemistry. You know, they'll have a great time together. And then they wait until a month or two in to ask each other, so what are you here for? And then they discover that the whole thing was a non-starter because they're on different pages about what they want. So that's a long answer to the short question, you know, am I dating seriously? The answer is yes. So we want to know, how did you first get into the personal coaching world? So um, I got into this really for two reasons. Number one is that since I was in seventh, eighth grade, um, I was always fascinated by people. I was reading books on psychology and personal development from a very young age. This is always what I wanted to do. Um, but it took me a very long time to actually establish my position in this Mm -hmm. space and go back to graduate school and like really commit myself to this because I was, I was afraid. I was afraid of going out on my own. I was afraid that people wouldn't listen to me. I would I was afraid that, you know, I didn't have anything valuable to bring to the table. Um, you know, of course, at some point you have to take sort of the leap of faith, um, which brings me to the second reason. It, that leap of faith was easier for me to take once I felt a personal obligation 
to help other people with their issues. And the reason that I felt that personal obligation is that when I was 19 years old, I got very, very sick. I fell into a very deep depression. I battled anorexia. I battled suicidality. Um, I battled crippling anxiety, physical ailments, disease. Um, and it took me many years to pull myself out of a very, very dark hole. I essentially got another chance at life, literally and figuratively speaking. And that's when I really went on two missions. My first mission was to turn my life around and to see if I could apply all of this information about psychology that I had been learning since I was 12. You know, I asked myself, okay, let, let me actually try to live by some of these principles and, and let me see if it works. And then my second mission was if I could do that successfully, I was going to dedicate myself and my life to teaching other people how I did it. Mm. Not mm. why it's important to do or not what they should do, but how they can do it. So my my work is really centered, um, whether it's in the dating sphere or a career change or getting rid of anxiety, my work is really centered on the practical tools um, and and teaching people how they can turn things around in their lives. So I, I really try to bring complex, very involved psychological uh, processes down into, I try to crystallize them down into everyday accessible practices, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a beautiful story. Thank you sure. so much. Thank you. Um, how did, what was like the first move that started all of this? And then also in regards to like the first thing that happened that led to it, what was your first speaking engagement like? Um, when you say, can you clarify what you mean when you said how, how was the, what was the first move? Yeah. Like what was like the first conversation you had with someone where you were like, okay, this is the beginning of my career doing the coaching. Oh, um, it wasn't a conversation that I had with someone that made me decide this is what I was doing. Uh, it was really a conversation I had with myself. Um, I was in graduate school. I was really trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I had like six different careers before the age of 25. And finally, when I was 26 and I was in grad school, I decided that this is what I was going to do. And I was going to just bite the bullet and go off on my own and try this. Um, and I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. So actually, when I graduated grad school, I got a job doing something totally different. And in the background, I was building my coaching practice. I was getting additional coaching certifications and stuff Got like it. that. And then like one day I told my parents and my family, like I'm leaving my job and I'm going off full time. And they were like, what? Like they, they didn't even know that this was what I was pursuing. Um, you know, it's one of those things that's like, be quiet about your success until you're actually successful. Mm -hmm. That's so valid and so true. I was just saying that to somebody else today. Yeah. Or even when it's like you can notice that other people might not be as happy for that success. So you have to like shift your thinking of what to expect from other people and their reactions. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I come from a fairly traditional Persian Jewish family. Um, so I think if I had told my family, you know, I'm going to go off on my own and, you know, be a life coach or be a therapist or whatever, and like not sure. have health insurance, not have stability, not have an income. Well, that's scary for any Jewish mom, Persian, <laughs> not like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's a different thing. Once you can say like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I started this thing and like, I'm doing it now, you know? I actually have an income and I can actually help people and support myself and stuff like that. So I guess the moral of that story is, is um, if there is something that you want, you know how they say, follow your dreams and the money will follow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really master your craft and the money will follow. Mm -hmm. 
it's not necessarily about pursuing your dreams as it is as much um, getting excellent at the thing that you enjoy or care about. And then, you know, people will find value in it. Right. Um, wait, so you talked about how, you know, you weren't necessarily sure how your family would react because they're a traditional Persian family. Once you started to really grow your career and find success in it, did you, ref- did you find at all that it affected any of your relationships with your family or friends or romantic partners in a sense that maybe they were almost like cautious to share things with you or be vulnerable with you because they felt like they're maybe being like analyzed? Mm. So with my friends, it had the opposite effect. My friends call me all the time and ask for advice and open up to me and like really just spill their hearts, which is a very beautiful thing for me. And I am very grateful. Sometimes people will ask like, do your friends like take advantage of, you know, of you and and ask you for too much free advice. And I always say that for me, like there's there's no such thing as too much giving too much free advice because it's an honor for me. You know, I, I feel right. I'm very privileged that like my friends trust me to help them with stuff. And I go to them all the time. Um, with girls, I can't tell you how many times, Marla, a girl has asked me like, so are you going to be psychoanalyzing me on the date? Uh, it's just like <laughs> a stupid joke. Like I've, I've heard that so many times and I know that some people are kidding, but yeah, there are, there are some people who have not wanted to date me, not because they're afraid I'll psychoanalyze them, but because my career is sort of polarizing. Like I, I talk a lot about myself and my personal struggles and I have strong opinions about certain things. And like dating somebody like me is a little bit different from dating just like a doctor or somebody who does real estate for more conventional careers. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess that just comes with the territory, like whatever career you choose, there are going to be some people who uh, are down with it and really respect you for it. And some people who don't feel totally comfortable. Right. And also like, I relate to you too. Like I have a background in acting. And once we really learned about like conversation and how to feed off someone's energy, being physically open when I was dating then, especially when I was taking the courses, I was overanalyzing everything because I was like, "Mm," like their arms are crossed. Like they're not comfortable. They're not confident. They're not this. So like, I can completely understand how that could manipulate like any brain or way of thinking. So, it, yeah, but just so you, just so you and everybody else knows, like it, you know, you're, you're, if you're dating a therapist or somebody in the mental health field, they know when to turn it off. For like sure. I'm, not, I'm not standing around at a party. You're not a robot. <laughs> I'm not like standing around at a party with a drink in my hand, thinking about like your childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. I already did that for eight hours today. I just want to enjoy myself like anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So sense. in regards to that, I mean, you probably are hearing very intense stories and you're learning a lot about different people's emotions. Like how do you avoid letting what your clients share with you affect your own mood, especially having experienced like similar things in your past? That's a great question. Um, I would be lying if I said, that I always leave everything at the door before I walk out of the office. There are certainly some things that I take home with me and that affect me emotionally and that are hard for me to shake, especially like when I really care about a client or when they're going through something that's extremely painful. But um, I've developed a a couple of practices that really help me um, detach from whatever is going on in somebody else's life. Um, I meditate every day and that's extremely calming for me and and really grounds me. And I exercise every day for an hour and a half or two hours. And my time in in the gym is sort of when I can uh, shake off, you know, whatever has happened in the day prior. So, and I also have a coach who I talk to once a week. Um, so, you know, it's important to develop those outlets. Otherwise, yeah. it can really be a lot. Yeah, I feel like people um, would 
traumatic, not traumatic jobs, but, you know, it's the same as people that maybe are firefighters or EMTs. And, you know, it can be hard sometimes to leave work and not necessarily just forget everything that you saw, you know, all during the day. So it's, it's, um, it's a difficult thing to deal with. It is. I mean, I have the most tremendous respect for doctors, nurses, PAs, EMTs, because there is no universe in which I would be cut out for seeing people's broken bones and injuries and diseases. I'm too squeamish. Me too. Yeah. So they, you know, I think that any type of like, any type of job like this, like you got to be cut from a certain cloth. Right. In order to to do it. Yeah. Um, so when we, when we've talked to some other people in the past that work in the dating space, like maybe they, you know, have created their own dating app. They've talked before about how when they'll get asked, oh, you know, like, well, are you dating? Because they expect that someone that um, maybe started a, a dating app would have a boyfriend, would have a girlfriend, something like that. So being that you often coach people on relationships or dating, do you ever feel like you have extra pressure that you should be dating or be in a relationship as if maybe some clients would trust you more or less, like based on your own personal life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I used to feel a lot more pressure to sort of be the example mm-hmm. than I do right now. This is something that that I had to to work on. Um, the way that I feel about it now, and this is this is an excellent question, is that you know when you go to the doctor, you don't have an expectation of him to be in perfect health right? Mm. But you do have an expectation of him to apply certain principles that he is advising you on to his own life, right? So he doesn't need to be um, the emblem of perfect organ function and running marathons and stuff like that. But, you know, if your doctor is smoking cigarettes and he's overweight, which many of them are, then you, it seems a little bit less credible uh, coming from, you know, the, the stuff that he says seems a little bit less credible. So here, I don't feel pressure to be in a relationship or in a marriage, because I think that a lot of that is up to God. A lot of that is up to timing. Um, and there are many factors that are in our control, but there are many factors that are not. What I do feel a pressure to do, which I, I, feel that I've lived up to and and really try to strive to live up to is I feel a pressure to know how to be in a happy and healthy relationship. And I feel a pressure to know how to date effectively, select people with whom I have shared values, select people with whom I'm actually compatible for the long run, um, stick to my principles and what I want when it comes to my dating life. So for me, that's walking the talk. Um, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily being at the finish line of being married with children. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I can't help people. Does that make sense? Right. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a super interesting metaphor because like until you said that, never in my life have I ever thought like, does my eye doctor have good vision? Yeah. <laughs> does my normal doctor and good health? Like never once have I even thought of that. I'm at the gastro. Does she have a better <laughs> stomach? Like, does she not have stomach pain all the time? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100% such a good analogy to think about. The, the other thing to keep in mind about this is that a lot of what I share and a lot of how I help people is not my wisdom right? So if I was married with a bunch of kids and I'm advising people on how to be married with kids and be a good parent or whatever, some of that is coming from my own personal experience. But most of that is coming from people who are way smarter than I am, who have written things and taught things for centuries that I'm just a conduit for, Mm -hmm. right? So the doctor who's in poor health and he smoke cigarettes, again, it reduces his credibility. But what he's teaching you and what he's helping with you with is what he learned in medical school right. that was decided by the medical body consensus for, for many decades, right? It's yeah. not his wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of it is absorbing information. Yeah, a lot of it is being a channel, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was 
you know, earlier on in my career, I, I sort of saw myself as, like I said earlier, I need to be like a perfect example to my clients. But now I've tried to remove myself and my own ego from it. And now I just try to be the channel, right? C- can mm-hmm. I take wisdom and information and lessons and knowledge that I have received and pass them through me to the other person? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I love that. And so obviously you hear a lot about dating struggles. What mm. is like the most common dating issue you hear about from people in their 20s and 30s? And how should people work on it? Well, in broadly speaking, the most common issue that I hear about is people being single for longer than they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I assume you you meant within that realm, right? Like, yeah. Or like, at least if you asked me, if you asked me, right. And you said, what's the most common issue your friends have in regards to relationships? I would say a lot of it is about the communication that they're having. A lot of these boys are reaching out as a way of communication through Snapchat. Mm. So like, that's like a big one. I hear a lot in the Mm twenties. Okay. So I can tell you what I see as the most common issues, um, and slash, or I can tell you what my clients say to me are the most common issues because those are two different things. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So what, what my clients say to me are the most common issues are things like that. Um, somebody is not being responsive. Someone's not giving me the time of day. Somebody is blowing me off. Uh, it feels like, Right. I was ghosted. It feels like I was used for sex. Um, you know, it, it feels like I'm always the one who's giving, uh, mm-hmm. and the other person is just taking, taking, taking. Um, and all of these go for guys and girls, you know, yeah. guys and girls, a very, very common complaint that I hear is this person, whether it's a girl or a guy has unrealistic expectations. They expect too much. They think they're God, um, so <laughs> forth and so on. Yeah. So, those are the the complaints that I hear most often. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, those complaints don't necessarily hit the head on what the actual issues are. Yeah. There's a difference between what the complaint is on the surface and what the actual issue is. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the most common issues that I see um, are number one, these are not necessarily in a certain order, but first on the list, um, is choosing the wrong person for you and having a poor understanding of what your emotional needs are. Yeah. So when you have a poor understanding of yourself, you select the wrong person and you select the wrong change them. Right. Well, a whole bunch of things happen. You select the wrong person. That means you try to change them. It means that they treat you poorly. It means you treat yourself poorly. It means that your communication is off. It means that you don't understand each other. There's there's a host of things that happen when you select the wrong person. But it's it's a very basic thing that if you don't understand yourself and what you need emotionally, and you don't understand who's going to work for you and who's not, then you choose the wrong person and then you waste years or you, you choose the wrong series of people. Yeah. So that's the first major issue and stop me at any time. Um, the second major issue that I see, and I cannot overemphasize the importance of this. Yeah. The lack of self-respect with which people treat themselves. Hmm. This is, this is, this one probably should be first on the list because this lead, this is the cause of everything. When you don't treat yourself with self-respect, then you allow other people to treat you poorly. You allow your time to be wasted. You have standards in your head that you don't actually live by. So then you feel anxious and then you feel ashamed you behave in ways that you wouldn't encourage your best friend 
or your sister or your brother to behave in. You let other people take advantage of you and, you know, a whole bunch of issues ensue. Yeah, that's a big one, because especially you wouldn't allow some one of your friends to do something. But if it's someone you're seeing, you just let it go. And I see that a lot. Absolutely. And I mean, it's almost one, like the older person, we get, though, like our friends are just making like decisions that like they would make when they were a lot younger. Exactly. I mean, if you're 28 and you're still acting like you were when you were in a sorority, yeah. you you need you need a self-respect check. Right. And yeah. I don't say that as a gotcha or as a criticism, but I, I really say it from the emotional perspective of of what what is going on that you're self-respect is lacking yeah right that that you're you're saying one thing and then you're doing another Mm -hmm. um and and this brings me to the third most common issue that i see um which is uh it's it's related to a lack of self-awareness which is you know leads to choosing the wrong person but this is really um a lack of personal responsibility and focusing on what the other person is doing wrong rather than what you could be doing differently. So if you notice all of those complaints that I listed, he or she is ghosting me. Um, they're not giving me the time of day. I don't know where I stand with them. I feel like I'm being used, blah, 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 right? This is all about how the other person is acting and this is all about the question, what can I receive? What can I get from this person? Yeah. We need to turn that on its head and ask ourselves, how do we need to develop and grow emotionally so that we are either bringing something different to the table or we're selecting someone else who's better for us or we're acting with more self-respect? But if you are always pointing the finger at what the other person is doing wrong and how that's upsetting you, then you never develop and grow. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I have a lot of I've had a lot of clients who are 37, male and female, but they have the emotional maturity of somebody who's 25, because for the last however many years, they have always been told to look at the other person. What do you want in someone else? How would you like them to act? What (laughs) would you like out of a relationship? This is the kind of crap that you hear on Instagram. But what we're not teaching people is who are you? Have you developed yourself? Mm -hmm. What are your values? What do you bring to the table? What can you give? And when you come at dating from that perspective, now the power is in your hands because you get to select. Yeah. When it's about what the other person is doing, you are always a slave to the whims of someone else. Mm -hmm. But when you have truly developed your character and your values, then the choices that you make are up to you. And that's how we gain our agency and our power back and we no longer feel like a slave to other people's tendencies and problems mm-hmm. does this make sense yeah yeah i think you just give our listeners a, a whole lot of great advice no uh, i love that oh i think also i i agree with what you're saying about um like obviously like we have choices and things that we can say or we can do and not to blame it on the other person because i think a lot of times probably one of those co- common things people talk about in dating is the whole like what are we conversation and like not knowing where we stand? Well, if you don't know where you stand with someone, you have to ask them. If yeah. they're not telling you, you have to just bring it up and ask them yourself. And there are things that you can figure out or or get to the bottom of, but not necessarily if you just wait around. Like you might have to take action yourself to kind of um, get what you want out of it. Look, I it's better to tell you a bitter truth than a sweet lie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole thing of like the the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Right. Yeah. And I say this with all compassion. If you don't know where it's going, it's probably going nowhere. Mm-hmm. If it is heading somewhere um, worth, it, you will know. Yeah. yeah. 
And sometimes but, people but need to learn point, it the hard way. But but Marla's point is 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 very very important, which is that you won't know by osmosis. You won't know by telepathy. You'll know by communicating. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And if that's not being communicated, and you try to communicate it, and the other person gives you some wishy washy ass answer, uh, then that's your indication. Right. Okay, so obviously we talked a lot about dating and dating that could be applied to anyone, for the most part. Um, Obviously, this podcast is slightly centered towards Jewish dating. And even though, you know, your clients are diverse, we're curious if you have any opinions on any issues that may be specific to dating within the Jewish world. Um, yes. Um, do you do you mean uh, like issues that people that 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 Jews experience in in their dating lives that non-Jews might not experience because of like the culture and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like we've talked a lot of one thing we talk about multiple times is the whole like Jewish geography and how it can be good or bad. You know, maybe you like go out with someone and then like a few, you know, years later, or a couple months later, it's like your friend meets that same person through like something else. And like, are they allowed to date them? Because a lot of times Jews overlap. That That's just an example. Um, but yeah. Or like even being in the Persian community, right? Like sometimes maybe they just want you to marry a Persian or if you could just speak on that and your experiences. Sure. I mean, so one, one problem that I see um, within the Jewish community at large, uh, this is just a personal opinion, which is like interfaith marriage. I I believe that um, that Jews sort of have an ethical obligation to carry on our lineage and and marry each other. Uh, it doesn't mean that I think somebody who marries a non-Jew is a bad person or whatever. This is that's why I couch this by saying this is just my personal opinion, and mm-hmm. this is coming from somebody who used to date non-Jews. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I think we all have at one point or another. Yeah. Um, and I actually used to be an atheist and had no involvement with Judaism or the Jewish community. And now it's a huge part of my life. Um, but having said that, what you mentioned about the Persian community thing is is particularly applicable to me and probably a lot of people who live either in L.A. or New York. Um I can't tell you how many times um, I have heard this thing of don't, you know, an Ashkenazi person shouldn't date a Persian because they'll date you. But then when it comes down to it, the Persian is going to want to marry a Persian. They're not going to want to marry an Ashkenazi. Um, And Marla, I know I've talked to you about this before that you've been in LA only like five or six months. Yeah. And you've already heard from seven different people don't date a persian guy blah 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 yeah um marla loves the persians she can't get away from them yeah they love her too you know i dated an israeli girl for four years um my best friend is in a committed relationship with an ashkenazi girl so it's it's a true enough stereotype that there's a trope about it that Syrians always marry Syrians, Persians always marry Persians, Ashkenazis always marry Ashkenazis. Like, but there are exceptions to every rule. And I think that honestly, as long as your families understand each other and you are able to keep your culture and your faith intact, um, I I don't I don't see it as an issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I fully agree with you. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to what you're looking for. It's like you said, some Jews marry people who aren't Jewish. It's like, what do you want to think about when you're raising a family? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people always say when they're in their 20s that marrying someone of the same religion is not particularly important to them. But once you start having kids, it's it's everything. It's mostly going to cause issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if you come from sort of a religious or somewhat observant family or just a family that cares about Judaism, then the question you have to ask yourself is, how much do you care about your family? Yeah. Because everybody thinks that 
they're okay being in a position where they have to choose between their family and their partner. And everybody thinks, oh, whatever, my, my, my family will come around. Like the most important thing is if you love the person and stuff like that. And that's just, it's unfortunately, it's, it's not true. And the reason is that if you don't care about being close to your family, then that's okay. Marry whoever you want, move to a cabin in Montana and like do whatever, right? But if you care about being close to your family somewhat, if you'd like to have them at the wedding, if you'd like them to babysit- Or pay for the wedding. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Then, you know, I am all about harm reduction in marriage and in relationships because your relationship and your marriage is going to be hard enough Mm -hmm. just interpersonally between you and your husband or wife. You don't want to complicate it by adding in issues that your nuclear families could bring in, right? So like when people say, oh, if you're marrying a Jewish girl or a Jewish guy, you're really limiting your options. Okay, yes, I understand there are not that many of us, but like, (laughs) you know, you got 12 million people to select from. It's just not really necessary to go out of the pool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it it could bring a lot of complication. Great take. Yeah. One of the things we want to talk about is um, obviously not all personal um, coaches and speakers grow like a huge social media presence, but you've grown a relatively big one. You know, you've been on other, you know, other popular podcasts. Um, so kind of when did you start to really grow your social media presence and how has that affected your personal and professional life? Oh, good question. Um, so I started working on my social media stuff, um, back in 2018. Um, Ooh, pre-COVID social. Look at you. Yeah, pre-COVID. Exactly. Um, the issue that I ran into, which is the issue I continue to run into, is that uh, every single market on social media is so incredibly oversaturated mm-hmm. that it is next to impossible to actually make a name for yourself. Um, you know, like you could be an antique knife welder and think that you're in in a niche market, but then you go on Instagram and you learn that there are like 150,000 antique knife welders who all have two and a half million followers. And, you know, you're always like stuck in this rat race. So when I learned that, I was basically like, okay, you know, I'm not going to rely on posting content or growing my social media to bring me business. Um, I'm basically just going to have a rule, which is like, if I want to post something, I will. If I don't feel like it, I won't. so in, in the beginning, I like did all the hashtags and I learned you're supposed to post at certain times. And I hired this like social media manager who would follow other accounts and like DM them and like do all of those little hacks and tricks that you can just find out on Google. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I basically over the last few years have just had a few pieces of content that have gone really viral because they've been sucked into the algorithm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just continued to post things that I like and that I think are important. Yeah. Um, in terms of how it's affected my life personally and professionally, um, very little. Um, I, I, I'm, I wish I could say that having like a sizable following on Instagram has brought me a ton of business. Um, but it hasn't because I am in a word of mouth, referral based, trust based business. Mm-hmm. So you guys can see my stuff on Instagram and be like, this is great. This guy knows what he's talking about. I love it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be inclined to tell me your deepest, darkest secrets, right? right? Mm-hmm. You're going to do that if you know that someone else has come to me and they've gotten amazing results in their life. Um, so I guess I'm just bursting the bubble a little bit on like, Mm-hmm. growing a social media presence. Maybe if you're Kylie Jenner or whatever, it it like really changes your life, but mm-hmm. for me I I just use it as as an outlet to express things that I think are important. Right. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we've talked to a lot of people on here that they do have a larger following and it's had bigger effects maybe on their personal or professional life. But in that, those effects have been both positive and negative. So it's almost, I feel like it's not necessarily a bad thing that you've grown your following, but aren't necessarily like getting anything out of it other than just being able to use it as an outlet because you could also have negative effects from it. Well, I didn't want to sound pretentious. Like, so I guess I'm not, I guess there's a little more I could say. Like Mm -hmm. once in a while, when I'm in the supermarket, somebody will say, oh, I watch your videos on Instagram. And that's like a nice feeling. Mm -hmm. Do they ask Uh, for your autograph? No, 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 not nothing. (laughs) This is why I said I didn't want to sound pretentious. You know, I'm just kidding. Come on. Um, but there is kind of a negative side to it, which is like, I've, I've gotten a lot of hate mail and mm. mean comments and, yeah. um, I went on this podcast in New York called excuse my grandma. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We had them on. We had love them on our podcast. Love her grandma. Love Gail. Yeah. I love Gail. I love Kim. They were really sweet. They asked great questions, but basically what happened on this podcast is like, we talked a lot about, um, we talked a lot about sex. And one thing that I said on the podcast is similar to what I said earlier, when I said, if you're 28, and you're still acting like you're 21, you need to ask yourself what's going on emotionally. As Mm -hmm. I said that, I believe that sleeping around with a whole bunch of people for no particular reason is can be an an indication of low self-esteem. And I think that's like well-established and, you know, Kim challenged me on that to sort of play the devil's advocate, which is okay. You can look it up on Google, you know, like it's not, it's not my statistic. It's also a statistic that people who have had many, many sexual partners are more likely to divorce. Right. And, and it makes sense because it can limit their ability to pair bond in the future. Mm. Um, and you know, she, she posted this as one of the clips on her Instagram and there were plenty of traditional people who said like, this is great advice. I totally agree. I love it. And they sent me nice DMS and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then there were like hundreds of woke people who, you know, are all into like the free sex, free love, like whatever thing that, just went nuts and said like, you know, very mean and, and harsh things. And that's the thing. If somebody is just taking one clip and one thing that you said right. and they're posting it on Instagram and it's not necessarily an accurate representation of mm-hmm. your whole body of work, mm-hmm. sure. you are opening yourself up to people being critical. Right. Yeah. Everything gets misconstrued. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll add together the worst things you've said. <laughs> just oh. kidding. Perfect. <laughs> I love that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just share with us really quick. Is there anything exciting we can see you doing? Anything you're looking forward to in the next few years? Anything you want to see? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to be giving a talk in New York in March. So for your New York audience, um, I can, you know, give you the information. Libby, maybe I'll meet you in person, hopefully. Yes, I would love to. Um it's going to be about dating and relationships and stuff. I've got a couple of Zoom seminars coming up that I'll post on my Instagram. And I am working on my first book. Um, it will be out January 2024. Wow. Amazing. So a year from now, Bezrat Hashem. Um, and yeah, just, you know, stay, keep, stay posted on my content and you know, reach out to me anytime if if you need some help with anything or if anything that I said struck you. Beautiful. Now we're going to play really quick, really fast game. It's called cute or cringe. It's super explanatory. It's either cute or it's like, you want to vomit. So number one, your date insists on splitting the bill on the first date and won't take no for the answer. Cringe. Getting hit on by a client. Oh, (laughs) um, I said fast answer and he hesitated to this one. Uh, flattering, but inappropriate. So cringe. All right. Getting hit on at a public speaking engagement. Cute. 
Um, going out with someone that has zero social media presence. Cute. Dating someone with the same exact career, coach and speaker. Cringe. Beautiful. And we're going to end off with asking you a very important question. What is a schmuck boy? Your definition. Oh, great. Um, okay. A schmuck boy, in my definition, is the anti-gentleman. It's somebody who doesn't pay the bill, doesn't open the door, doesn't call when he says he's going to call, and is very inconsistent. Um, so, you know, I, I see a gentleman as someone who does those nice traditional things, but most importantly, is consistent and is mm-hmm. reliable and does what he says he's going to do. Amazing. Love, and where can people find you on social media? What is your handle? It's just my name, Kevin Nahai. Um, you can follow me and send me a, a message and I'll get back to you. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to connecting with everybody. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much. I'm sure thank everyone's going to learn a lot. Thank you guys so much. This is an amazing talk. Cause you're just a smug boy. You're just a smug boy. That's not enough. Don't need another, another shot, boy.